Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business Fun Podcast. This is a special episode um, because it's going to be the first time that we spent the entire time talking about one specific topic, which is the marketing and sales funnel. Um, if you've been following along lately, I have been doing a survey in the Talking Tickets Slack channel, Talking Tickets newsletter, um, all over the place to ask people. Um, what are some of the important things that they want to learn more about? Um, and a consistent theme was the sales funnel and kind of understanding how you get people into the sales funnel, how you manage the sales funnel, how you get people to reach the bottom of it, which means they give you money or they take some action that you would like them to ha to take. Uh, so I have my friend Ali Scheuer um, from Australia on because he has been working on this topic um, consistently for the last year or more as he's worked on developing uh, two markets where the AFL has not historically been strong in Queensland and New South Wales. So um, we talked about all kinds of great stuff um, around the sales funnel. This one is um, really, really deep. The, we talk about um, how you define your sales funnel. We covered ground on, you know, why ROI might be an overrated measurement of success. We talked about um, what the bottom of the funnel looks like, you know, how these things play into retention, you know, how retention and acquisition need to be thought differently, um, how you need to create a different path for your consumers who are only going to view you on TV versus if they're going to buy a subscription or a season pass or something of that nature, we talk about, um, you know, what to do in a recession, how to make a decision about your marketing and advertising budget during a recession. Um, what might be interesting for a lot of people is we talked about how if you invest in marketing now, you aren't just spending that money and throwing it away for the future. Um, you can actually spend marketing dollars and advertising dollars now to drive revenue that may be able to help you bridge a bit of the gap that a lot of people are dealing with between where they are now and where they hope to be in the future. Um, we talked about, geez, like, I mean, a lot of stuff here. We can, we've gotten to the, you know, how the investment in marketing compounds over time. We talked about how, you can have a negative compounding in, uh, impact if you choose the wrong channels on your advertising. Um, we talked about the emotional aspects of the sale. We talked about uh, the emotional aspects of what people are dealing with now and how that might impact the sales. Uh, we talked about um, the hierarchy of needs. Uh, this, I mean, this is like a really, really deep dive into the sales funnel. So this is like a really, really... Um, interesting conversation by the way i'm going to post this thing um this conversation on thursday night which is forget the date the 13th of uh, august if you haven't already make sure you take a second to check out my newsletter it comes out on friday so in about five or six hours from now whenever i finally get the audio of this posted um you can get it at talkingtickets.substock substack.com it is a new home for the newsletter it gives me a little bit greater functionality it's going to probably give me the chance to do a few more cool things there um, but it's five stories typically from the week with some analysis some action items and some ways to position um, your you and your business 
built on and based on trends and ideas that are showing up in the um, the feed or in my you know in my reading in my conversations with folks uh, wherever so make sure you check that out also make sure you go over and check out my friends at booking protect um, Sophie who is handling the, the social media campaigns right now has been doing a incredible job of curating really awesome pictures from live shows from around the world with really inspiring quotes from artists and people in the industry. Uh, it's great. It is a great reminder of the fact that at some point we will have live events again. We will be able to cheer our teams on. We will be able to sing songs to our favorite artists. Um, in my case, yell back at them. Um, so check them out at bookingprotect.com. There is some great content on the blog. Uh, Kat wrote a great piece about managing and maintaining your relationships um, after the pandemic. It's really essential reading right now. Um, she did a really great job of putting together some ideas. I think that'll be really, really actionable for people. And if you haven't already decided on giving people refund protections, maybe a good idea to think through now because one of the challenges people are going to be dealing with coming back from this is trust um, and trust in, you know, the events are going to be able to happen, trust in whether or not they're going to get sick. Uh, you know, there's a psychological component to this that I think is going to be um, a big challenge to overcome, you know, and giving people peace of mind can be a tremendous asset for them now. At the same time, make sure you check out what my buddies Anar and Martin and all of their team at Activity Stream have done because they have pulled together the We Will Recover initiative. You can find it at wewillrecover.live. Um, they brought together folks from around the industry, um, people like knuckleheads like me, um, Audience View, QQ, Intix, um, Booking Protect put something up recently. Um, you know, it's a great initiative. Um, the, the wholeheartedly support them in every way possible. Um, Frederick Awad and I did the very first masterclass that they put together on revenue and finding new revenue after the pandemic, um, which you can still find there. Um, check it out. We will recover live. Now I've got one more thing to share with you. Uh, today's Thursday. I said the 13th of August. And as I have, um, just finished up to there's a new project that I've signed on to help out with through the end of the year. Um, as many of you know, uh, in the United States, we're having an election in November and I've all my found out this year. This is great. My grandfather served in world war two and he had three purple hearts. And I've always been someone who I don't care who you believe in. I just want you to vote and I want you to participate in the democratic process and I want you to participate in your communities. I want you to support your communities. So I've signed on to help um, former podcast guest Lawrence Purrier from light uh, is on the board of an organization called I voted concerts and you can find them at I voted concerts.com. Uh, it's a great effort where if you show that you vote, send a selfie to the organization. There's concerts with people and artists all over the country, big and small. Um, it's a great effort. Um, check it out. Go to I voted concerts.com. 
there are ways to get involved, um, you know, financially, um, donate your time, your energies, your ideas, um, you know, artists can support, uh, musicians can support, um, athletes can support this thing. It's really important. Um, you know, it's a nonpartisan thing. It is built entirely on getting people to register to vote and to get them to vote because being registered, being able to vote is one thing. If you're not registered, it's pointless. If you're registered and you don't use the power of your vote, that's bad. Um, voting is like the dues that we have to and should pay um, to have a democracy. Uh, voting participation in the United States is one of the lowest amongst all uh, modern economies and westernized countries. So Emily White and her team have worked really hard to pull this together. I'm excited to support this and I hope you'll check it out. So I voted concerts.com. Uh, finally, this episode with Ali Shoyer, I think it's fantastic. Um, I will love to get your feedback about this. If you found it helpful, um, because Ollie covers like so many great ideas about the sales funnel. So I've talked enough now. Here's my conversation with Ollie. I'm welcoming back Ollie Scheuer to the Business of Fun podcast. Ollie, we've already gone 90 minutes before we even started recording. <laughs> uh, we probably left so much on the uh, cutting room floor. Uh, but it's nice to have you back on the podcast. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad you're safe. Um, I, I'm glad I can say that to you because you have been sending me notes and emails and texts to ask me if I'm safe. Um, so thanks for being here. And I'm glad it's nice, nice to talk to you and spend so much time with you today. Thanks for having me, mate. And uh, yeah, apologies for chewing your ear off for near an hour and a half, which is fine for me because it's in the morning, but probably not so much for you. I told you the challenge is I got to put the boy to bed in a little bit, so. <laughs> but that's okay. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. He probably can put himself to bed at this point. It's fine. Um, but have you gotten? Have you gotten to a point where you're giving him your previous podcast as bedtime stories? No, he doesn't want to hear anything from me. Come on, he's had enough of me by the end of the day. Actually, we spent all day to be together because there was like um, some serious thunderstorms and. Uh, it rained out like he's been able to go to an all sports camp where they social distance. They have a pod of like oh, eight wow. kids, um, so he's been able to do that. But today the weather did not cooperate because it's outside. Um, so we we hung out. There you we, go. we did some shopping. We did some goofing off. We had some pizza for lunch. It was a, he had a great day. Um, I had a fun. You just too. rub it in. Yeah. Well, you know, you're still getting started with your day, so that's how this goes. Um, <laughs> but I'm excited to talk to you today because. I've been doing a survey in the Talking Tickets newsletter, and one of the interesting things that people have been asking me about is about the sales funnel. And I know that you have a background, you know, obviously in sports, working for the AFL now in Port Adelaide before, um, but you come from an agency background, and you have a really strong grounding in the fundamentals of demand generation and turning demand into revenue, um, which, you know, um, is always something I'm talking about here. And so I wanted to spend a few minutes talking to you about the sales funnel and you know how people can recreate one now or create a new one if they haven't don't have a fully formed one or a carefully thought out one 
Um, you know, because I think it's become a question that people have been sending me quite regularly. And so it, mm. it's a chance to be able to have a podcast conversation that's around a subject that um, is really interesting to people. Because most of the time, we kind of go all over the place wherever the, uh, the feeling leads us. And today we're going to do really about the sales funnel, if you're okay with that. Yeah, uh, it's funny, I, you know, talk about experience in agency, um, and again, I, I don't know if it's necessarily universal for other people that have worked in agency, but found in my time of dealing with client briefs, you rarely actually referred to any form of sales funnel. You'd get you know, your, your briefs, which would have clear objectives, and those objectives might be something along the lines of, of raising awareness or driving consideration or, you know, even to the to the end of that funnel process of, of driving conversion, um, but you never really saw it as a, as a sequential step, um, and it's it's really only since probably going into client side that, um, albeit there are those that like to herald the death of the sales funnel and that you know it's such a dated model couldn't possibly work in the new age. Um, I've actually found that it's probably been one of the the more important tools. Um, not just for kind of being able to address, you know, and, and picture the idea of somebody kind of moving moving through a process to get to an, an end zone, but certainly in terms of actually being able to focus energy um, and efforts. And, you know, I think everybody, particularly now and, and probably for the foreseeable future, will be limited with resource and, and probably quite hamstrung with what they do have. And so focus is going to be more important than ever. And, um, have have found a lot of good experience and and the ability to be able to leverage a sales funnel to drive those conversations is is something that I think will become more important moving forward. Yeah. So let me let me start out then by let's define what a you know a simplified sales funnel is going to look like for people, right? Because from my experience, you're going to have the, above the funnel, right? So because you have to get people into the funnel. Then you have the top of the funnel, the middle, and then at the bottom, you're squeezing people and converting them into sales. Um, mm. Is that how you have, have, have approached it, or am I missing a step in there? Um, you know, can you break it down to us, you know, in the way that you would approach it? Yeah, I think um, there's, there's certainly not a you know, whilst there's there's a universal theory and tool to use, I don't think necessarily that it has to be the same steps for everyone. I think it's it should be very dependent on the industry that you work in, the category, um, and again, you know, uh, bearing in mind your audiences from start to finish. And so you, you can predominantly address a sales funnel or a customer journey with whatever fits your world. Um, you know, I, I tend to try and keep, mine at least quite simple um you know and and probably kind of fits those models and theories that that have dated 50 years ago and you know working along those key metrics of awareness um interest consideration trial perhaps and then and then conversion um and and really i've always tried to dress it up as as either a bucket um you know that, that gets kind of thinner as it goes towards the bottom um, or something that uh, my old business partner and I used to, to to love to talk about was this idea of a, a leaky a leaky pipe. Um, so you've got like a, if you were a plumber, you know, and you've got a pipe and you're pushing all the water through the top of the pipe, 
but only so much is coming out the bottom. Um, at some point throughout that journey down the pipeline, you're losing a, you know, a ton of water somewhere and your job is to find out where um, that actually exists. So that's, that's a model that's worked really well for me. Um, you know, and it's, I haven't seen too much of it when it comes to sports marketing by way of theory, but you know, it's as appropriate for thinking about fan development. So you know, how you ultimately get somebody engaged and aware of the game, then get them interested into it. Um, and then all the way down through to the bottom of conversion and particularly in the AFL is, is getting them to either you know, buy a ticket to go to a game or, or ideally better case scenario would be to have them buy a membership, um, you know, for, for one of the, the leading clubs um, in the AFL. No, that's, that's a great explanation. And I'm glad that you kind of showed different ways, right? Because again, I think the terminology people can get hung up on because they maybe have um, a belief that there's it's a one-size-fits-all th- solution, right? The sales mm. funnel um, should look like every other sales funnel, and that's not, in, t- in my experience, not exactly right because um, some of them are way more complex, right? Um, you know, but it all begins with getting people in the very top, and so from your point of view, right, and I know that, like, you spent a lot of time on this lately because you have been working on developing some of the markets that the AFL hasn't been as strong in historically. Um, you know, how do you get people into that top of the funnel? How do you generate awareness from folks? It's a really good question and, and probably one the AFL still asking me to answer. Um, jokes aside, I think, you know, there's, there's the Jokes are always different... mine, man. Come on. That's my job. Yeah. Um, uh, um, Particularly now, and and I think it's probably fair to say that globally, um, you know, there will be, particularly as, again, resources dry up to a certain extent. um, And the last probably, I would say, three to four, five, six months has been so focused on looking after those that are currently in the system. You know, so how do we actually retain all the fans and all the members that are currently consuming our game so that we don't lose them to the game for good and, you know, and ultimately lose them to other entertainment options or worst case other sports. Um, you know, and again, depending on how deeply ingrained they are as a fan will determine, you know, the type of substitutable product that they may go to. Um, but, but with such a core focus and, and again, with so much concentration put on that, ultimately what can happen is, you do such a good job of looking after the people that currently exist that are probably naturally going to churn at some stage that you don't start filling the bucket. Um, so when those people do churn out, which I think will be accelerated a little bit throughout this period, I don't want to say that things are going to change dramatically for good, but particularly for those lighter consuming audiences, which I think for anybody that's listened to our previous podcast, you'll know that you know I'm a, I'm a big advocate for probably the prioritization and the importance of those lighter consuming audiences because they probably make up core of it. Um, you know, much to everybody's belief that, you know, there's select few that, that financially underpin a huge amount of um, clubs resources. The reality is that there's a whole bunch of people that like to only consume kind of one or two games a year, whether that be TV or live. And so the reality is if you lose them and you're not refilling the bucket, um, you know, you're going to end up with a lot more churn, downstream and it may not be immediately but you know come a year two years three years that customer lifetime value gets eroded and you end up actually having 
more churn with less new acquisition and predominantly just end up with a much flatter bottom line. So that, that's a, a somewhat of a concern and certainly a conversation that everyone around the world needs to be ha- having um, is, is not just focusing on you know, what's happening with our current base, but what are we doing to, to secure and generate interest in, in the game, um, in this instance, in Aussie rules for the future so that, you know, we, we are at the same time as converting the demand that currently exists. We're stimulating demand for the next generation. And, and I'm not just necessarily talking about the next generation by way of 10 years. I'm talking about two, three years time where we're going to re- need to rely on these new people finding our game and consuming our game and ideally pushing them down that funnel. And, you know, we're not going to push everyone. I think there's, there's an obsession with this belief that we need to, for everybody that's consuming two games, we need to get them to consume three games, you know. But the reality is that a lot of people will just stay at two games. Maybe they'll go back to one. Our job, at the very least, should be defending, you know, that, that current consumption and make sure that if they've consumed two games this year, they consume two games next year. So at least that we're not declining. And when it comes to generating interest, and, and, and again, like it's, it's, it's kind of different, I find, for New South Wales and Queensland, which are the markets I look after. Um, they're not traditional footy states like Victoria, WA, South Australia. You know, there isn't that organic attachment. There isn't that organic share of voice in market. You know, you don't have the visibility that you do when you've got 600 journos covering, you know, our game in Victoria versus, you know, a handful in New South Wales. You have to think very differently. You have to be very considered of the reality of how the audience um, are positioned and kind of how they consume their time, um, because you know they're they're not as obsessed with footy um, as they as they are in in those states that have grown up with it, where their parents have grown up with it. So, our points of entry in, into into the sport needs to be less about the on field product and more about the entertainment, the social perspective of it. I think that social perspective is going to become ever more important for, for club and league strategies in the near future, particularly as people shift from you know, this, this state of mind around the world as we enter a recession. And, and, and I guess in, in the instance of Australia, we're in a recession. You know, eventually we'll move out of that, that safety needs um, perspective and, and start pursuing more emotional needs like a sense of belonging entertainment socialization so you know it's going to be really important to be able to leverage that and and how a game of footy whether it be live or watching it on tv playing footy you know whether or not that's about going and and joining your mates down at the park to have a game again all socially distanced um you know these are all the types of things that we need to think about and be really mindful of the motivations of the people that we're trying to speak to to ensure that we're actually positioning ourselves aligned with with the need states that they have rather than kind of building it and just assuming they're going to come. Okay. Let me ask you three things about the top of the funnel because that was a a very comprehensive answer. Um, And I think we're doing a great job of defining the sales funnel here. I think we're going to do actually four questions. Take that back. The first one is you talked about lifetime customer value. And I know that this is going to be a brand new – thing for a lot of people because they haven't been listening to me but all of a sudden Gary V started talking about it um, and so now it must be now it must make sense um, even though uh, you know Gary V and I have come up together uh, through, over the years through like the same group of um, you know marketers um, define lifetime customer value for me in a way that people can make sense of and put it in the context of why it's so important because I don't think that um, 
it gets explained very well. Well, you you really put me on the spot with definitions and and outlining you know key principles of certain fundamental models, and you know there there will be you know people out there that are much smarter and and much better marketers than I that will will hear these answers and go, what is she talking about? You know, so perhaps I might start to sound like Gary V. Um, so customer lifetime Let's value in in its <laughs> in its simplest essence is um is again trying to the whole picture um of an individual rather than the short term picture. So I think that you know it's say for instance if we're talking about a sports fan, you know there might be um this in I guess obsession to look at what they're spending now, you know, and they might only spend thirty dollars on a ticket um throughout the year, which you can clearly measure um. You know, but if they do that over ten years, that's three hundred dollars that they're worth. And then, if you if you're in a position where you've got you know your your data properly set up and, and ability to actually match and have a single customer view, you know the reality is that person could also be spending three hundred dollars in the retail store. Um, they could be spending you know thirty dollars a month on a subscription TV product um, just to watch your games on TV. But you know, so. I think there's there's still a long way to go for businesses to be be able to clearly match that and have a full understanding of exactly how their their fans or their their um, members are, are behaving. And so it's really just about rather than looking at one single transaction that can be easily measured for a customer, you're being mindful of actually how much are they spending in total and over time how much is that worth to the business because. You can make a whole big song and dance about somebody that might spend $800 this year, but for whatever reason, you lose them to the system and they don't spend another dollar with you for nine years. But then if you've got somebody that will spend you know, 300 bucks with you in one year and they'll do that with you for five years, that customer is, economically speaking, worth more to you than that person that's spending that much with you on one. So it's really important that you're just being very mindful of the reality of how people spend their money, the fact that you know time and individual circumstances can change and that they're likely to spend different amounts with you in different ways over time. And that at the end of the day, every, every customer is probably just as important as the last. And, and again, I, I want to echo how important those light consuming audiences are because initially as an individual that needs to focus on generating more revenue, it, you know, it's, it's, it's human nature to go to the person that's spending most with you right now because they're predominantly going to make you look better at the end of the year when it comes to generating and turning around your sales targets. But, you know, that there might be more people spending less and, and them in total comparison are worth a lot more than that individual. And it's just really important to make sure that you've got a grasp of that. You know, I, um, I, I that was being a trick question. You did a great job. Um, to simplify, <laughs> I'm going to try to simplify it for people. It's... Um, you, you know, through what I heard you say, which is you gotta be willing to break down the silo and saying, Oh, well, I just got to get everybody to spend $30 on merchandise. And then, and it never translates to, well, this person spent $50 on ticketing for the family, then spent another $30 on merchandise. And then they spent $25 on F and B. So then instead mm. of like looking at each of them as individual points, you're going, well, shoot, I got, what is that? My math is here. 50 and 30 is 80, 80 bucks, <laughs> right? Then you're going, well, that's great. And if I can get them to come and it comes twice a year, that's $160. So then mm. if I work on it and that's a per person, so let's say a family of four. So then whatever that is, 640 bucks, right? Um, you know, so then how do I get them to come back? 
right? And, and so then that, because that's exponential growth, right? Mm. Or am I wrong? No, no, most definitely. Um, but I think that's... You know, that was a rhetorical yeah, no, question, by the way. There's, there's no, it's, it's certainly no fault of anyone's, you know, um, because I think, you know, just the environment tends to, to drive us to focus on kind of, you know, uh, smaller keyholes to look through, you know, whether or not it's easy to measure data structure there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, it's, it's, it's alluding and attracting to, to go towards somebody that looks to be spending a lot of money than having to do the hard work to figure out how much in total everyone's spending. But, you know, tech will advance. And, and, you know, I think particularly throughout this period of, of time where, you know, clubs and leagues around the world will look at their strategies and look at their, ecosystems to figure out how can we get better and more sophisticated at what we're doing. And these are the types of things that will evolve because of it. Right. And, and I know that, uh, and I say that um, all of those things in a way, because I know they're difficult, right. And and it's not lost on me, but uh, why I illustrated the point that way, it's because I think you can look at customers maybe as having a little less value than they do. If you only look, if you only look at them through a siloed lens, because yeah. it's it's hard because yeah it is difficult sometimes to collate all the data. That's why some of these membership programs and rewards programs and all these things are so valuable because you can give somebody something that really has a nominal value to you but seems extremely incredible to the person and it helps you pull that data together so you get a more comprehensive picture of people because Definitely. at least in my view right we're overwhelmed with data right now. And the problem that we are dealing with when we're talking about all this data is that we don't have a way to make the, make the data meaningful because it comes from a hundred different places. It's like a spigot, a fire hose just beating us to death. And there hasn't been a concerted effort or enough attention paid to making that data look like an avatar, I guess, to use a simplified term. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's but by looking at the customer like I just did where I said, oh, just these three revenue sources, you combine it alone doesn't look impressive, but when you put it together, you're like, well, that's pretty great, right? That's a pretty good spin mm. from a person. And, and to get that out of them, that's awesome. So then now I have a different approach to the, how I'm dealing with that customer as opposed to, you know, kind of cookie cuttering everybody the same way because everybody looks very similar in the different rows and bands mm. of pricing that they're sitting in. But that's just me. Yeah, and, and I, yeah but – but look, you're right, and and again, I won't harp on about it in this because I'm pretty sure we spoke about it. But you know, this this elevates how important the role of segmentation is, um, you know, in in making sure that you aren't approaching every fan, um, every spectator, um, or every member, you know, as as a cookie cutter clone of, of of the person next to them. The reality is, is everybody has different contexts, everybody has different needs and wants, and whilst there's ways to clump those together. Um, at the end of the day, you, you need to be really clear about how these people differ um, or how they are similar so that you can actually align your strategies and your ability to go to market in a more effective way. And I'm not going to say efficient way because I think, you know, that's the beauty of data is it allows you to be more efficient, but it's actually about being more effective, um, which is, is ultimately where you're going to generate more revenue. Yeah. Now, this next question is two parts because I said I'd give you four. So this is going to be counted as two and three um, and call this poetic license, <laughs> if you will. But Australia is dealing with, you said, talk about the recession first. 
dealing with the first recession in about 30 years. Is that is that right? Maybe 27, 28, 30 years, somewhere in there, right? Like official recession? Because they were, you were pretty I'll much... Say, I'll, I'll say yes. Yeah. Off, off the top of my head, I'm not entirely sure when the last recession was, but it sounds about right. Yeah, I was going to say, because you were lucky in that, like, the, the financial crisis in 2008 mm. didn't really heavily impact Australia. Um, so, so yes, there, the, the part one, uh, 2A. And then number three is, knowing that there is a recession going on, the tendency for people is to pull back on all of their marketing and their demand-generating efforts. Mm-hmm. Is that a bad idea, or is that the worst idea ever? Um, it's a good question. It's a very good question, and one that... Um, it's also a leading you know, question, probably... because I, I've given you the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like... I feel like you're serving, you're spiking the volleyball here for me. Um, I just, I just finished reading a, a, a wonderful book actually called The Roadside MBA. I'm currently studying my MBA and, and actually through a mutual contact of ours, Ben Newton, um, mentioned, oh, he posted something on Twitter that he was reading it. So I picked it up and, and one of the things that these guys talk about a lot with regards to, um, when they go to answer important business questions is, is the answer should always be, it depends. Um, so I'm going to throw that back to you and say it depends um, on individual brands' circumstances. So what I mean by that is if you are on the verge of, of survival, you know, like if you've got no cash in the business, if you're potentially at risk of going into administration, if you're significantly unable to supply your product to to the, the increased demand, like for instance, airlines at the moment, right? Um, I think that 100% you should be uh, pulling back and cutting costs where you can. You're in survival mode, right? Like if mm-hmm. you can't provide your product, and you know, I think it, it could be fair to say in some sports around the world, um, you know, there it, it's futile to invest um, or to increase your investment in driving live consumption by way of spectatorship at the stadium. But, you know, there's room to say, well, it doesn't mean you should stop altogether. If you've got the capacity, if you've got budget, if you've got cash in the business, um, then I think it is 100% worth investing, either holding your budget and not cutting in your costs, or if you can afford, increasing your costs, uh, increasing your marketing and advertising investing, investment. And I say that not based on pure subjectivity, um, but simply because out of, Many recessions over many decades, there is a well of theory and body of work that has showcased through data and through actual evidence that those brands that do invest, if they can afford to invest in, um, in promoting their brands, not only do they come out of um, the recession in a much better place, they're, they're able to recover from the current recession much quicker. So, I, yeah, if... If you can afford to, my if, and if I were, you know, in charge, like from a CEO perspective, and and I had cash in the in the bank, um, and somebody came to me and said, "Oh, we're going to cut all our marketing costs," um, then I would be saying, "We don't need to do that." In fact, now is a is a wonderful opportunity to actually increase our investment in it, um, because all our competitors are likely going to be cutting their costs unless they've also got really smart marketers in the business, um, and because they'll be cutting their costs, it increases our opportunity to increase our share of voice, which is massively important for increasing market share. But also, you can do it all at a lot cheaper per unit price. You know, costs for advertising and media will plummet because that's 
often what most people do when it comes to any form of economic um, issue is that they cut costs in, in marketing and advertising. And, and, and I think, again, in our previous conversation, you know, we spoke a lot about how important it is for marketing to position itself in the business, um, particularly when it comes to advertising and promotions and paid media, for that to be seen as, for lack of a better word, as an investment rather than a cost. Because the reality is, is that you're more likely to, to make more money on that investment at a time when people are pulling out. Right. And this is true. And this is why I want to highlight this, this that spending money now is an investment because not only do you get it cheaper now, but there is the data shows there's a tremendous halo effect from the money that you invest during a recession that translate into continued share of voice, um, top of mind awareness, uh, intentionality that yeah. transfers for, I don't know the exact number, but it's at least two or three years after the recession ends, um, if not longer. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, the data is very, very clear on this. Um, you know, so like if you have the opportunity, it is a tremendous time to, you know, in the case of like a lot of organizations that probably can't put on shows or games with fans there um, and they don't have a clear indication of when they can, it is still a good idea yeah. because they can, can generate revenue through memberships, through merchandise sales, through yeah. and any number of different ways. So it's not like you're just I think really advertising important. and throwing the money into a void. You can still use it to no. make money, and maybe it's money that bridges the gap for you. Yeah, and, and I think probably the really important thing to call out right now is that like any form of um, investment into promoting and getting your brand out there is it's not just about generating immediate return on that. And I think that particularly in you know, the last probably decade with the rise of digital, there's probably too much of an obsession with the return on investment and being able to clearly measure that, um, you know, in saying that, well, we, you know, we put a hundred dollars in and we got 105 bucks back, you know, um, it's very difficult to be able to measure all forms of advertising accurately. Um, but that's not to say it doesn't work. And, you know, and, and again, going back to that light user, that new user, that top of funnel stuff, the reality is, is that, you know, we can't always assume or be in a position to talk to people in, that are currently in the market. You know, the reality is, is you've got to stimulate that demand for the future so that when they do enter the market, they're more primed to be aware of your product or your brand, you know, to, to have more of an understanding as to exactly what it is that you do and the benefits that you might address. And and I think that's really important right now. And not just right now, it's really important forever. And there's always this, you know, there's this never-ending debate in the industry about brand building versus sales activation. And, you know, oh, well, do you do all of one and none of the other? And the reality is it's always about a balance, you know. So there will be some businesses that are capable, like FMCG businesses right now, of actually over-investing to generate even more demand right now and to convert on that demand right now. But the reality is, you know, there's a job to also do for, for setting ourselves up in a year or two. And so, you know, you bring it back to the AFL right now all across the country. You know, there's there's many differing ways of people to be able to consume footy in Victoria, which is where I'm at. You know, there's, there's you know, none except via TV. We can't go to stadiums like you can um, in, in some capacity around the country. You can't play footy. So from a participation perspective, you know, in, in most parts of um, Victoria, Victoria, particularly in Melbourne, you can't play footy at the moment. So just because you can't convert that demand right now and, and you can't capitalise on that now, it doesn't mean that you just disappear altogether because 
if you disappear altogether, what's going to happen when in a year's time that this is all available or in 24 months' time when this is all available? You can't just assume that you can turn a tap on and they'll all come back if you've been non-existent in their life for two years. So it's really, really important that, that you're in the market, your share of voice is, is generating, you know, the ability to convert now, but more importantly, to be able to stimulate that demand for the future. And that feeds right back into your sales funnel. You know, if you're capable of measuring that, if you've got real clear brand tracking in place, you know, um, you'll know and you'll start to see the impact of disappearing altogether. Um, And it means that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're gone for good, but it means that you're going to have to work even harder in the future if you've just disappeared altogether now. Yeah. So I was, as you were answering this, I was thinking about, um, you know, when Mark Ritson has his next uh, MBA and he has the podcast to each of the sections for the sales funnel, he's going to have to have this one because you're doing a great job of explaining the importance of the sales funnel and feeding people into the top. One final question. Full full credit just to to give a plug there because, you know, I mentioned that I really didn't start taking the sales funnel seriously by way of an applicable model until I moved client side. And the reality is I did Mark's mini MBA um, course, subject marketing, um, before I went to client side. And I've got to tell you, if I hadn't have done that, like I, I think I would be a very different marketer. Um, it, it was phenomenal. It changed my entire way of working and, and, and how I approach working. And, um, you know, he speaks very fondly of the sales funnel and its um, ability to empower businesses if you, if you do it right. And um, even though it's a, a model that's dated, you know, 40, 50 years, however long. And I'm not going to credit who came up with it because I can't remember. But it is as applicable today as it ever has been. Um, so, yeah, well done, Mark. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, next time I'm in Melbourne, uh, me, you, me, you, Mark, and uh, Ryan Walman, we'll have to all get together and have some drinks. It's gonna, It'll be awesome. That would be, uh, that would be amazing, yeah, right? Yeah, lovely. <laughs> um, but um, final question on the top of the funnel, you know, because what I – I, I don't want to dumb it down for anybody, but I also don't want to assume everybody knows exactly how these things look. What does it look like when you captured somebody in the top of the funnel? Uh, it's a yeah, good question. Um, I think probably one thing to call out is um, how how different people's time in that funnel can change. Um, you know, and and like it, it does seem to make sense that it would follow like a certain process. But you know, you could be aware of the game. Next day, you you know you're going to a game for trial, and then you might then consider it. And you know, so it's it's as as linear as it is in some instances. I think people can move around slightly differently. Um, you know, it's it's not like a perfect model, and I think that's really important. Um, but, yeah, look, I think if, if you're going back to the top of funnel and if, if you're trying to get people into that funnel and once you've kind of got them into that funnel and, and they're aware of the game, you know, from an individual's perspective, you know, they're probably more alert to seeing communications, um, you know, from, from that said brand. So if I'm aware of the AFL, I might suddenly start to notice, you know, um, TVCs about the AFL. I might suddenly notice, you know, more goalposts on on um, fields around Melbourne, if, or if you're in any of those traditional states, you'll see the four posts on the fields rather than the rugby posts in New South Wales and Queensland. Um, as an individual, you might start to 
you know, potentially do a little bit of research to understand a little bit more about the game. So, look, the, the behaviours are tenfold. There are so many different ways to go about kind of how you act on that awareness and, again, how quickly you might do it. Um, so it just – they'll go from, from being aware of it to trying to determine um, or answer whether or not they're interested in it really. Um, you know, and there's a lot that don't. There are a lot – in, in it's crazy to think, but there, you know there are people in in Melbourne, which is the birthplace of um, of footy, uh, that the that D's are clearly aware of started the, the game. Come on, let's not. Yeah, I mean Tom Parker, well, you know, he's going to and Tom Newton are going to be yeah. glad to hear this. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know there there are a lot of people aware of the game, but they're not interested in it. Um, so you know the the job is you know once you've kind of done your your exercise, your far-reaching exercise and leveraging all the touch points you have to make sure that everybody and anybody is aware of the game is, well, how do you make it, how do you position it in the market to ensure that it aligns with people's interests? How do you get them interested in the game? And as I said at the top of the conversation, that's, that is slightly different in a state where you're kind of just consumed by footy all the time because it's in the paper, it's on the TV, it's on the radio, um, people playing it in the fields when you know they're kicking around a Sharon, which is a you know an Aussie rules football. When you see them at the park, it's very different. Whereas in, in in Sydney, you know you won't see people kicking around a Sharon necessarily. You know you don't flip over the back page and see you know an Aussie rules or an AFL story there. You know you you, you won't turn on the radio or the the network news at night time and and the first story be about kind of the competition. So yeah, I think you know you've you've got to find ways of generating interest in it that aren't necessarily about the product itself right and the, the key point is that getting people into the top of the funnel is difficult to quantify but it doesn't mean that you don't focus on it because awareness is valuable later because and we're i'm sure we'll get to this in a minute it, you know people are so fascinated with roi like you said and then it becomes yeah. this quest for last click attribution and what falls yeah. by the wayside during all this is the, all the money that has been invested in getting it so that when you post that ad on facebook or instagram or twitter that people will pay attention to what you did and they will take that action because that doesn't happen Definitely. just because they see it on facebook it's not like somebody in sydney is all of a sudden no, going to go somewhere yeah. else they're they're not going to go yeah. oh yeah all of a sudden i'm going to not go to the nbl i'm going to see the swans uh, no, that's not how that works because you have to nurture people and there's a lot of time where it's just setting, you know, tilling the land, you know, to use a, farm, a, a yeah. metaphor that maybe doesn't translate around the world. But, you know, you just have to sit there and the top of the funnel is a lot of times you're investing in efforts that you don't know exactly what's working or what's not because the intent to buy hasn't necessarily registered in somebody's head yet. That's exactly right, and I think that's where you know. I'm almost knowing what I talk many, about sometimes. Yeah, yeah, but too many, too many have suggested that if you can't measure it um, or you can't define how it's working, then it's wasted. But you know, again, it goes back to that whole idea of needing to talk to people before they're in the category. You know, so that when they get into the category, they're more likely, you know, to 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 understand that you know the role that that product or brand has to play and therefore more likely to purchase it because they're familiar with it. Um, and, you know, we know how important it is, you know, for to be able to remove some of the thinking for people to help them make decisions. But I think just very quickly going back to that point about awareness and, 
I think unfortunately for, for us as marketers, it's a term that's used all too freely and fluidly that even in the boardroom people go, yeah, 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 I fucking get it. You know, like I get it. It's about, it's about generating awareness. But at the end of the day, I don't really care because I'm talking about sales here and, and, and our bottom line and you keep talking about this puffery up here. So our job as marketers, and again, it's very difficult and, and you've, you've got to keep working at figuring out how you can measure it to be able to then present it, but is to, to use language that, that the board or the CEO want to hear. And, you know, so being able to marry up things like awareness with key measures of market share or penetration, like we as marketers have done ourselves out of being taken seriously far too often that our job now is to try and figure out how we can make our language marry up with the language that matters in those, you know, important big boy, big right. girl tables. Um, so that we're all taken about seriously money, and that's so, all about outcomes, all about it. Yeah. Just like things that are measurable, that that's tie it. to revenue. Yeah. Everything, you know, at the end of the day, and again, I'm pretty sure we spoke about this at length, either offline or in the podcast last time. But if there's any marketer out there that doesn't think, want to believe that their job is about making money, then they're, they're in the wrong business because um, that is solely what our job is to do. Um, and our, our job in terms of managing the, the comms internally is about saying, well, it's not just about making money now. It's about positioning ourselves to make money in the future as well. Yeah. If you've done your job right, every year it's like planting seeds. And so you're, you're going to see it grow. So for every dollar, yeah. you know, you might get, for every dollar I spend on marketing in the first year, I might get a dollar fifty back. The second year, if I do it and I'm consistent and I have clear branding, a, a strong value proposition, I'm consistent and I'm cultivating an audience. I might see two dollars for every dollar I invest in, in marketing. Yeah. By the but third year, I may be hitting thing, though, four Dave. or five dollars. You know, and if but, you that's not valuable, and, and that I don't know what is. That's exactly right. But I think here's the other thing, and this comes down to, again, our ability to measure, but also not looking through that siloed keyhole, is you might invest, you know, let's say, for instance, you invest, and this is just for argument's sake, $500,000 in outdoor advertising, you know, in, in, one, in a given year. That's really difficult to measure in terms of its final impact on sales. But let's say you're in a position to be able to measure the ROI on that, and it comes back that actually you can only deliver 0.5 on the dollar right? If you make that decision within that, that one financial year, of course, you're going to say that's a complete waste of money. Like, look, look, you know, we're not actually, we're losing money on that, in, on that expense, particularly when you then look at, oh, look at Facebook, you know, we invested $100,000 on that, but we made $200,000 through that. Again, there's two things happening. One is obviously the link between that outdoor ad and that last click, um, you know, through the Facebook thing. But the, the point being is if you then take a step back, and this is really hard because most people are just career marketers, so they're only in the business for two or three years, um, and that's a problem. But if you take a step back and you look at that outdoor investment and you're able to properly measure it across time, it's actually about the exponential return on that investment over time. So you might see 0.5 on the dollar in that first year. By the third year, it might be 2 or $3 because you've been able to nurture – you've been able to plant that seed in many people that weren't in that category many years ago and now suddenly in it and they're, you know, they're more primed and ready to buy because of years of being exposed to the brand. You know, so I think it's really, really important that when we do look at ROI and again, it's a dangerous metric to solely 
base ourselves on. And in fact, it's it's not an objective; it's an outcome. Um, but if you if you do look at it, look at it properly. Then look at it over the course of a lifetime, as opposed to just within you know a a point of time that suits the the um, I guess the financials of the business. You know, you, you've got to be able to have those conversations properly. Yeah, I think one of the keys here for marketers or for executives that are listening to this thing is that if you need somebody to explain the value of marketing to you, call me or Ali because we're going to tell, <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm, I'm not joking, actually. You should um, because we will t- explain it to you in terms that you can understand because if you think that your investment in marketing is going to be resolved and you're going to be absolved of responsibility by the money you spend in just one year – and that it's like a quick fix. That's not really go- you're you, you're going to end up spending money on things like Facebook, or uh, at the cost of everything else. And as soon as you either can't or don't spend the money on Facebook, or you've reached the end of the line on Facebook because you haven't been investing in things like customer retention or growing, you know, your market share. Um, it's going to become less and less effective. So the opposite impact is going to happen, right? So if you spend $100,000 on Facebook this year and you get $200,000 back and you throw everything else away, next year you're going to spend $100,000 back and you're going to get $150,000 back. Not enough to necessarily go, eh, you know, what the hell's going on here? By the yeah. third year, though, you're likely spending $100,000 to get $50,000 back because you've trained and people to ignore to- you. Well, that's right. And it goes back to the, you know, the, the conversation that we had earlier is that, you know, if you're not refilling the bucket and pushing people into, you know, that funnel and, you know, further down the funnel, then the reality is you're asking your performance marketing to work much harder than it needs to if it were in collaboration with proper brand building activity. And I think just on that, like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with spending money on Facebook. There's absolutely nothing wrong with spending money on TikTok or, you know, whatever Instagram reels or, you know, whatever yeah. the new fat is, but it has to fit in your, your strategy got, and you have to have one. That's exactly right. It's got to be in your strategy and it's got to be part of an integrated marketing comms plan. Like, you know, you've got to be really careful and considerate of who your audience is, what are you asking them to do, and then defining the most appropriate way to reach them and get them to do that. Like, I think that's, that it's not to say that any channel is better than any. This isn't a case of digital's better than above the line or, you know, TV's better. It's, it's not about that. You know, everything works really well if it's used properly and in collaboration with the other tools. Um, and I think there's, again, wells of body of evidence that says that if you have, you know, two channels working for you, it's, it's exponentially better than just having one, you know. So you've just always got to be, thinking about that um, rather than just assuming there's a silver bullet or a silver channel that's going to deliver you, you, you know, the best bang for buck. It doesn't work like that. There's no silver bullet. That's, that is like the thing that we can disabuse everybody of. There's no silver bullet. There are sugar no. highs, but there are no silver bullets. A lot of sugar highs. Yeah. All right. So because I've told you too, that I have to put my son to bed in a little bit, we'll have to, we may not, we're going to have to rush. Not, well, I don't know if have to rush through these things, but I want to move on to the mid, the middle of the funnel, right? Help people understand a little bit about the middle of the funnel, because I think really, actually, probably the most important thing for, for people to understand was that top of the funnel thing. But I don't want to not get to the bottom and the middle. 
Yeah, and, and look, again, the, the, the middle of the funnel can look very, very differently for a lot of people, depending on kind of the industry and the category that you exist in. Um, you know, and, and, and again, I think the reality is, is, is if you look at it as, as some form of um, progressive approach, you know, if you're talking about the middle of the funnel, you're, you're assuming that people are aware of your product, they're interested in your product or your brand because they're, they're still in the funnel. Otherwise, you know, they're not in your funnel. Um, you know, it then becomes more about, you know, you start to shift towards trying to drive specific behaviors and whether or not that be, you know, capitalizing on their consideration if, if suddenly. So, OK, I'll put it in the context of um, Aussie rules football. Um, so from a from a competitive set, we don't just compete with you know, other sports, we compete with everybody's entertainment, um, you know, their choices of entertainment and how they, you know, choose to use their disposable income, which I may add is probably going to get a little bit tighter for a little while because that's the reality of what happens in a recession is your discretionary spend gets pulled back. Um, but the reality is, is your, your job is to ensure as a marketer that, that um, your a game of Aussie rules is, is part of that consideration set. And, you know, I always like to frame it up when I'm, you know, either working with the clubs or, or talking to others in the team is that if I wake up on a Saturday morning and there happens to be a Sydney Swans game on that day in Sydney, whether it be in the afternoon or night, I want that individual to wake up knowing that there's a game. So when they ask themselves, what am I going to do with my time today? Going to a Sydney Swans match is part of that consideration of how they could possibly use that time. You know, and then it's about either for if it's their first time, it's about you know pursuing the trial and whether or not that be through watching it on TV, whether it be through you know going to an actual game, or if you want to go back into the participation piece, how do you get people to to pop down and have a kick around the footy? You know, how do you get them to trial what it might be like, whether it be watching a local game of footy and and you know defining whether or not it is that they want to play in that. So you know you're likely to drive trial um you know your focus is to get people to trial you know if they've already done that then obviously you're starting to talk about how can you get them to either now purchase or repeat purchase um and throughout all of that is this need to help support them in their evaluation of their experience um and and i don't i think everybody's really really good at nurturing audiences when you have access to them but sometimes you won't so how do you actually help get them to to um, either rank their their experience, you know, how do they ultimately go about defining whether or not it's something that they want to do again? So, you know, that that real middle funnel stuff is is they've either had a taste of something or they're about to taste something, and our job is to make sure that we make it the best possible experience for them. Bang! All right, so let's uh, let's move down to my favorite part, right? Because it's attached to the money, and like I agree with you though, ROI is something that, a bit of a gimmick. Now that's kind of overused, overfed, um, because I often tell people, if you just want a high ROI, I can do that and your business will be worse off than, than before I got here. That's not what we're trying to do here. Um, but the bottom of the funnel is where the money comes. Um, what does that look like from your point of view? Can you explain it to people? Yeah, so when, when, when we're talking about kind of the bottom of the funnel stuff, you know, we're we're talking about you know physical consumption or participation in the game so you know if you go from a community footy perspective you know where they're they've registered to play in um in a in a team you know whether or not that be 
if they're younger and they do it through a, you know one of our Auskick programs, whether or not they do it through one of our school programs if they're at school, whether or not they sign up to a junior footy team or a senior footy team. I um, am you know since moving to Melbourne have started playing footy again, so you know that for me would be a masters team, and, and I'm not going to define the criteria of what it means by masters, but predominantly it means that you're old. Um, so. As embarrassingly as so, it is, that would be in the, sing, the senior footy league, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, senior, senior footy is is kind of over 18s, and then there's masters, which is you could continue to play senior footy, or you know, if you're either not prepared for that sort of level of competition, or um, I guess uh, expense on the body. You know, I, I I unfortunately have had a lot of injuries in in my time playing footy many years ago, so I probably can't and shouldn't be playing footy. So I play Masters, which is just a, a slightly uh, addressed um, product of the game, which, you know, we play every second week rather than every week. And the rules are slightly different to try and mitigate injury. Um, and, you know, probably more importantly, you know, help us address our lack of fitness. Um, but yeah, so point being is, you know, when you're down in the bottom of the funnel, you're, you're either trying to get people to, to, to participate in the game. If they've played one year, you want them to play another year. So, you know, again, you, that, that's probably more around that retention piece rather than acquisition. Um, if you're in club land, you're, you're obviously wanting people to buy a ticket to one of your games um, at, at your stadium. Or if they you know, got more affinity to the club itself um, and they've gone past that, you know, spectator, um, I guess, uh, personalization they're now moving into that fan piece then you obviously want them to start thinking about becoming a member you know and so you're trying to encourage them and convert them to be buying a membership and again you know on the basis of done that for one year conversion the second year might actually look about you know that's about retention rather than acquisition necessarily so yeah, the, I think that the hardest thing about sport and again I can't pretend to know necessarily what it's like for other industries because you know I haven't had to manage different brands but there are many different ways to consume sport, um, which means that there are many different ways to look at conversion. And I guess that comes back, ladders back up to kind of your core business objectives and then what your marketing objectives are as to where you're going to focus your efforts and energies on about what's the most important piece of conversion you know, you should be pursuing and whether or not that be to, to watch more on TV, to go to more games live as, as a spectator, to buy more memberships as a, as a fan. So, yeah, that, that's when, when you start kind of getting into the, the heavy grid of it, which is yeah. predominantly where, you know, the core revenue is. And understandably, because that's where the core revenue is, it's where a lot of people spend most of their time. And I was going to say a thing that I think it pays a little bit of attention to is that in a lot of cases, you have to make sure that you're careful about the way you think about the TV audience and how you convert them to a different form of participation. Because what we see in a yeah. lot of places is that the TV attention, the the willingness to watch a game on TV, it's a struggle to convert that to actual attendance. And that's partly it's, built through the way the funnel is set up because you are nurturing them and driving them towards converting to TV watchers. At the same time, you're not breaking them off or giving them a path that directly and meaningfully sends them towards buying the ticket. But I think that that's a really important point there. And again, it comes down to if you've done your marketing strategy right and you know who the, the core segments are that you're focusing your efforts on, then that that purchase funnel might be slightly different. Um, you know, where, you know, for somebody that 
you know, is likely to be a member. Obviously, the end game for those people is is to predominantly get them to as many games as possible by way of conversion. But if and, and again, I've seen some fantastic work. And in fact, um, a very good friend and mentor of mine, Professor Heath McDonald, um, has done some amazing research around the rise of the, the media fan, you know, the media dominant fan. And, you know, old fan development models seem to suggest that, you know, watching a game on TV was the precursor for the end game of getting people to go, you know, to, to games. Like that, that's the ultimate objective is, you know, watching TV is is a step on that journey. But actually, there's a lot of people, and again, this is why it's so important to understand who your audiences are, that are never going to come to a game. And in fact, again, going back to that customer lifetime value, just because they're not spending money on going to the game, they could be your biggest fan watching every game on TV, spending so much money on retail. You know, are you, are you not going to pay attention to them or focus your efforts to address that that proposition and that and their needs because they don't come to a game most definitely not you know and particularly as sports become more global there are so many people around the world that are massive fans of of clubs and brands that will never be able to go to a live game but it's really important to commercialize them um you know and to ensure that their affinity with the club you know is aligned with the ability of what they can actually enact by way of behavior so you know again i think it's whilst Traditionally, it's been looked upon, particularly for for clubs. You know, you don't want to you don't want to heavily promote TV viewership because you want people to come to the game. But the reality is, if if there's an audience segment out there that their end behaviour is only going to be that, you've got to be able to cater to that too. Yeah. Um, particularly as you know the rise of of how people consume sport. You know, we've we've spoken about it. The industry speaks about it all the time about the changing nature of consuming sport and you know the the drop in live attendance and. You know, there is a lot of different nuanced challenges to address with that, but you can do it in a way that doesn't jeopardise one audience, you know, at the expense of another, whilst also commercialising all of it. Yeah, no, that and that's a, um, I think, a great place to leave it because, I mean, again, we could go. On, we've already been going for two and a half hours. I think my wife's going <laughs> to kill me. Um, Ali, where can I point people to find you? And first, well, but before you say that, uh, thank you for um, you know being so willing to come on and talk about the sales model. Uh, people have been asking about this. There's uh, a lot of interest in figuring it out and thinking through it more thoughtfully. Um, you know, the bottom of the funnel probably needs its own episode like we did. At, we ended up at the top. <laughs> um, we'll get to that. That'll be the next one. Um, but thank you so much for doing this, too. I mean, I, I, I thank you, man. I mean, I got three or four pages of notes here. Um, that was great. And now how do people find you? So they can give you the, the applaud and the support that I'm giving you. Uh, uh, yeah, look, I'm just on you know the, the usual suspects. So Twitter, uh, just Ollie Shoyer, um, and LinkedIn. Um, and then I, you know, I've, I do have a website which I'm you know trying to find more time to write uh, through, which is just OliverShoyer.com. Um, but that's predominantly where I'm at. Awesome. Particularly given that I'm in lockdown and not able to physically go anywhere. Yeah. Well. Ain't that, ain't that the same for all of us? Um, Ollie, man, yeah. be safe. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Thanks, pal. Cheers, everyone. Let me know what you thought of this conversation I just had, and you just listened to it, Ollie Shoyer. Um, hit me up. It's dave at davewakeman.com. That's my email address. Uh, check out my website. It's davewakeman.com. You can find my blog. You can find all the stuff I've done, all the stuff I'm going to do. Um, I'm trying to add some new elements to it, but it's um, 
you know, crazy to figure out exactly what I want to add right now, you know, so, uh, analysis paralysis is hardcore on the website, but the basics are there. There's a blog, there's email address, there's cool stuff. Check it out. DaveWakeman.com. Make sure you follow me on the social media. I'm at David Wakeman on Twitter. And like I've said for many, 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 many times before, if you know the guy who has the debt, Dave Wakeman, Twitter handle, get it for me. I'd appreciate it. Um, Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. They actually upgraded me to a business account the other day. I don't know why. Um, really, all you ever see is like things if I'm traveling or if I'm cooking something. But, or I guess now I, if I'm taking my kids uh, for a, a ride and we do something funny, um, you know. So that's what you get on the Instagram feed. But I'd love to have you follow me there too. It's great. Um, make sure you connect with my uh, friends and partners. Check out Booking Protect. The blog is great. Um, like I said, the cat wrote up an article about relationships, especially managing and rebuilding these relationships after the pandemic. I think it's super important. I think it's um, a really great message. And I think it's something we need to really think about because we sometimes from conversations I've had with organizations around the world, sometimes we think that the relationships may be stronger than they are with our customers or they're more superficial than they probably should be. Um, a lot of people have spent a lot of time on relationship building and they have s seen the return on that time and energy. Um, so focus on those relationships. You can check that out at bookingprotect.com. If you haven't thought about giving people offering refund protection at your, your venue or for your events, um, now is probably maybe a good time to consider it. Uh, talk to Kat, talk to Simon, uh, talk to Kath, talk to Abby, the entire team uh, is just tremendous. They're great, um, nicest people in the world, and so grateful for their friendship and their support over the years. The same goes for Anar and Martin and the team in Activity Stream. Um, as soon as the pandemic hit, they started working on putting together the We Will Recover initiative to help people have a resource to find out about new ideas, new content, new ways to help get their venues and their teams and their organizations back online after the pandemic. Um, I know this is an extremely stressful time for everybody. I know that the, uh, the end can often feel like it's never going to come. Um, the We Will Recover project has been a way for people to have things to focus on that are positive. Um, I worked on a webinar, the first masterclass webinar with Frederick Awad from State 22 um, on revenue and new revenue streams. Um, there have been great things uh, and great people involved like Angela and Joe from the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Australia, Andrew and Carol at TPC in the UK, um, QQ and Ticks, Made Media, me and some really, really great, great folks. So check that out. We will recover dot live. And finally, if you ha don't already have it, maybe you want to check out my talking tickets newsletter. It comes out every Friday. It's five stories. Most of the time, uh, with some analysis and some action items. I say sometimes because every now and then I'll just put a bunch of links that didn't have a theme that I saw throughout the week or saw a trend that I could, that hooked onto them. So sometimes I'll just throw some interesting stories that I had as the fifth item, always some analysis, some action items, um, and some stuff that you can use to put to work in your business. Um, you know, it's important. Like I've mentioned before, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, if you need somebody to talk to though, 
don't feel like you need to go through this alone, talk to me, right? Send me an email at my email address. It's Dave at DaveWakeman.com. I'm happy to talk to anybody. Um, reach out to any of the trade associations, any of the people in my network or your, you know, anybody, everybody I know is, wants to be there and support everybody. Not, this is something that none of us have a playbook for because none of us have experienced anything like this before. Um, you, you know, it, it, it's a mental strain. It's emotional strain. Uh, you know, it, there can be ups and downs, even if you're me, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Every, everybody, even when you don't feel it, it's important to reach out to your community, to stay connected to folks, um, you know, to feel part of a community right now. So if I can be that for you, make sure that you use me as that resource. Um, so hit me up, David, Dave com. Again, the, um, it's been so nice the last six weeks since I started putting out regular podcasts again, um, to hear from you, to see you, um, to have a chance to talk to people again. It's, um, I'm so thankful for all of you that listen, all of you that listen to the podcast, to the, read the newsletter, uh, or in the Slack channel, who do all these things. Um, it, it helps me <laughs> uh, deal with the day-to-day and the sort of sameness of the of, of things right now. Um, and I hope it does the same for you. Uh, I get emotional at the end of these things, like I'm, you know... I'm a change man over here during the pandemic, but I'm so grateful for you, you know, you sharing a little bit of your time with me. Um, thank you again. I will see you soon. Um, my voice is going on me because I was on the phone with Ollie for three hours. Um, so if I sound a little subdued, don't worry. It was just Ollie kept me talking for three hours. Um, until next time, take it easy. I'll talk to y'all soon. All right. Be safe. <laughs>